Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Hey guys, so good to be with you again. As a society, we hate to miss out on things. You can see this in almost every sphere of life, but in particular, one of the funniest for me is missing out on the bus. You know what it's like, you're waiting, sat at the bus stop waiting for the number 25, which for some odd reason is styled after an accordion. When the number 49 rolls up or the number 5B or whatever it happens to be. And as you're waiting, you see the people go into the bus, they pay, they sit down, the bus driver puts it in first gear, ready to drive off. When all of a sudden, stage right, you see someone calling out, red-cheeked, fully with bags flapping in the wind. And... It's funny, isn't it, when that happens? And I've observed this uh, phenomena many, many times over the years, and I've come to the conclusion that uh, people rarely run for the bus. They do this kind of not-quite-a-run, not-quite-a-walk thing, uh, kind of like that Olympic sport where they're kind of walking really fast, so much so they're basically running. But they're not running because you're not allowed to run, so they're walking, but they're walking kind of doing the swivel hips. And now, generally speaking, sometimes they catch the bus, sometimes they don't. But if they don't, this is what happens. I call it the special moment. The special moment is this. They they miss the bus, they throw their hands up in the air, and they turn around and they look in your direction. And what do you do? Well, if you're British, I'll tell you exactly what you do. You do the only thing a true Brit would do. Avoid eye contact at all costs. Uh, Suddenly, the piece of chewing gum by a shoe becomes engrossing. Uh, but the reality is this, that missing out on things, it can take, it take various degrees, of course, right? It can t- range from the, the, the silly to the serious. More on the serious end of the scale, perhaps for you, just recently, you have missed out on the college or university that you wanted to go to. Or, or, or maybe you've applied for a job and a hundred other people applied for the same job and, and you missed out. Well, in these situations, they can missing out on things can leave us dazed, uh, particularly if we feel we've been caught off guard. Well, that's really the point of Matthew's chapter 24 and 25. They're, they're in the Bible so that we wouldn't be caught off guard. Uh, the parable that we've just heard read, the parable of the ten virgins in particular, uh, this is a, a warning from Jesus. And so therefore at points in this message, it may get a little sober just because Jesus is speaking quite seriously. Uh, now the reality is what Jesus is trying to communicate is this, that He's saying if it, if it burns to miss out on things, important things in life, how much more 
to miss out on the kingdom of heaven. And so let me set the scene. In the parable of the ten virgins is found at the beginning of uh, Matthew chapter 25. But in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, uh, we have uh, what a teaching that is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And the theme of this discourse is what we call the end times. Here, Jesus takes the time. He, he explains to his disciples saying, guys, uh, the world as we know it isn't going to continue on as we know it. Not, not forever. That there will be an end point. Uh, when you read those two chapters, Jesus actually goes into some level of detail in relation to the events that will surround the finale of human history. And that will culminate ultimately in his magnificent return. Now, I appreciate if you're hearing that for the first time, it may be something as a surprise to you. It may be quite shocking to hear that the Bible teaches that human history will, will culminate, that, that Jesus himself will return and suddenly, and in that moment, everything will change. Or maybe it's not so surprising to you. Perhaps for the last while you've been concerned about the climate. Perhaps you've read some of the grim report com reports coming out of various quarters in relation to what might, might happen to life across the face of the earth. Or, or maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's COVID-19. Maybe the events of the last few months. Uh, you've seen firsthand how life across the face of the earth can change and suddenly. So whether, whether it's slowly via climate or suddenly via COVID, uh, when you read it, perhaps what the Bible says about the end times isn't so surprising after all. And if you went to Aldi on London Road in April of this year, it was apocalypse. And how, now, what we can say to this is that, meaning, essentially it means whether our world ends with the return of Jesus or our world ends with our return to dust, we must all of us face the same facts, that there will be an end point. And the principles of this parable apply to whichever happened to us first. And so in the parable, there are virgins, and these virgins we would call bridesmaids. And uh, they, were, they were young, and therefore in that culture, they would have been virgins. And these bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom, and the bridegroom, we would generally call the groom. Uh, the groom is the one that's telling us the parable, it's Jesus himself. It talks about, as well, the wedding feast. We, we heard quite a lot about that last week. And the wedding feast simply is a reference to the kingdom of heaven. heaven. Now, curiously, the, the, the bridesmaids, they're all holding uh, these lamps. And what these lamps are are really torches and they're wooden sort of poles that would have been held by the bridesmaids in the wedding procession. And at the end of the poles would have been a flame. And that flame was kept burning by oil, by the oil. Uh, Jesus says there are 10 bridesmaids, virgins, five of them wise, five of them foolish. And you wouldn't really have been able to tell the difference between the wise and the foolish, not from the outside anyway, because all of them were, were dressed ready for the wedding. All of them were waiting for the groom and all of them were holding their lamps. Which means the difference between the foolish and the wise would ultimately be not an external difference, but an internal difference. In that the, the wise had oil and the foolish would run out of oil. What this tells us about the foolish bridesmaids is ultimately that they were superficial. Uh, that they probably knew all the right things to say if they were quizzed, they're probably content being in amongst the congregation of the wise. Uh, however, they probably would have been, well, they would have been casual. 
they would have been nice people, don't get me wrong, moral people, but casual in that they didn't make the necessary preparation for the bridegroom. Preparation that they really should have made, they should have known to have made it because the others did. And, and, and they probably would have said things along the lines of, well, I know I don't have enough oil, but it'd be all right, won't it? Like, he, of course, he'll let me in. He would, he'll let me into the heavenly wedding. He'll let me into heaven. Of course, I'm, I'm a good person. Yeah, it should be fine. Sadly, it was not. Because Jesus would say at the door to heaven, I do not know you. Now, what Jesus is speaking of here is it's not that he doesn't know their name. Jesus knows your name. Uh, what he's more speaking of is a lack of, a lack of relationship. There's a lack of depth there. Uh, because Jesus only takes to his heavenly wedding those who know him well and through faith. Now, this wasn't a standalone message by Jesus. This, on the contrary, was perhaps his most repeated warning. Uh, we see this because we see in the parable of the sower, it's the same message. Parable of the wheat and weeds, same message. The parable of the man that builds his house on the sand, same message. We also see that same message in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And, and this is massive because it also helps us understand what was going on, what the deficiency of the foolish bridesmaids was. And this is what it says. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, we have ones that are confident of their passage into the heavenly kingdom. Uh, but they, they, they even use similar terminology. They even call him Lord, Lord, just like in the parable of the ten virgins. And the verdict over them is the same. I never knew you. So what's the issue then? What has Jesus got against these people? Jesus takes exception to those that call him Lord but don't treat him as Lord. Jesus takes exception to those that call him Lord, but don't, as we read, do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Such people like Jesus as saviour, but not as Lord. What do I mean by that? I mean, uh, foolish virgins are happy to hear Jesus died for them for their sins as saviour, but not happy to hear Jesus tell them what to do as Lord. Friends, I tell you this, to have one without the other is to have neither. You must have both. You must have him as both. And perhaps this might serve as a helpful test for us. Be honest. Are you pleased to hear Jesus die for you on the cross? Say hallelujah but you're not so pleased to hear him tell you what to do through the words of his book, the Bible, how to live. The reality is your answer to that question may well decide what kind of bridesmaids you are. So what does it mean to honour Jesus as Lord? What does it look like? Well, 
it looks like Jesus being the leader and you being the follower. Not you being the leader and Jesus being your follower. It, it, it's not you living your life and pursuing your own goals and adding a bit of church or adding a bit of Jesus or adding a bit of religious comment on it. No, no, no. On the contrary, it means seeking first the kingdom of God, trusting everything else will be added to you, not seeking first everything else, hoping the kingdom of God will be added to you. It means putting him increasingly in first place in every area of your life and the ability to be able to accept correction from brothers and sisters if he's not. It's absolutely vital. And saying this, uh, to go a little bit further, it means really to, to follow the New Testament teaching, to follow the New Testament teaching on what it says about how we are to live, who we are to marry, how we are today, how we treat those that probably don't like us, how, what we are to do with our money, how we are to speak about those who are in government over us. Why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. John 14, verse 15. What this means is Jesus sees the expression, Jesus sees the evidence, Jesus sees the sincerity of our love for him not principally in our confessing him as saviour, but practically in our obeying him as Lord. This is what Paul in Romans 1, 5 calls the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And let me say this, Jesus isn't looking for perfection. He's not looking for perfection, can't speak, perfection here. He's actually looking more for a trajectory. It's not, the, it's not the, the waves he's looking for, it's the tide. Is the tide generally going in the direction of obedience or is the tide generally going in the direction of non-obedience, disobedience from Jesus? Which means that we learn from the foolish virgins that actually to, to call Jesus Lord in word only without the subsequent and necessary obedience that comes from a faith in him is not enough. Even the demons can do that. We also learn that you may be a highly talented individual. You may be very, very gifted. The passage in Matthew 7 that we read talks about prophecy as one of the three things it talks about. You may be a prophet. You may be able to see sort of visions even by the Holy Spirit, which we spoke about earlier. Or, or, or you may be able to see dreams and the dreams kind of come true very well. But if you continue on a trajectory of disobedience to the Lord Jesus, it means nothing. It'll be counted as loss. Which means obedience is far more important than morality. Obedience is far more important than performance. Obedience is far more important than gifting. Why? Because Jesus didn't come for Christendom. He came for kingdom. Jesus puts it like this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? And these few words from Jesus kind of summarize the, the heart of the parable of the ten virgins. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And... 
what I found as well is that, well, let me say it like this. If I might be so bold, could this be what he's saying to you? Could this be what he's saying to you right now? What, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What is it for you? Where are you struggling to obey him? Where are you not obeying him? What has he said to you over the last few days, weeks, months, perhaps even years? I just trust right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that uh, things will be coming to your mind. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say that? It could be that's the Holy Spirit trying to help you, trying to help you saying, hey, this is the thing. Let me encourage you, don't, there's no shame in it. Pause the video, text a friend, write it down, follow through however you might be able to because these things are important to Jesus. So important to Jesus. And that's not me saying it's easy. <laughs> Believe you me, I know it's not easy. Sometimes to follow Jesus, it can be costly. Yeah, it can, it can. I found that he, um, he's not afraid to take me out of my comfort zone. He will occasionally lead me into deep waters where I can barely touch my feet on the ground. I found that he likes to rearrange the furniture of my life from time to time. He will do that. But I've also found that he is good. That he is good, he is generous, he is gracious. And if you have, or if you don't have Jesus as your Lord, you will only have something or someone else as your Lord. And I guarantee you that something or someone else won't be as good as Jesus, won't be as generous, as kind as Jesus. They won't stand by you in times of trouble like Jesus will. They won't laugh with you in times of joy as Jesus does. They won't be your rock in times of uncertainty as Jesus is. They won't get down on their hands and knees, take your foot and begin to wash it like Jesus does. They won't, they won't take care of you like he will which means Jesus is worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our loyalty. And, and if we are able to therefore humble ourselves and come to him, confessing that we have not been obedient to him, not perfectly, I tell you, if we confess to him, and, and specifically, and not just generally, although that's good, but come clean. Just say, Lord Jesus, this area and this area and that area, I've not obeyed you in. And if we ask for his forgiveness, and if we ask him for his help, I tell you, he will answer that prayer. He will. He will supply you with much power, the power you need to obey him, the Holy Spirit. And in this is relationship. Jesus says to the, to the foolish virgins at the door to heaven, I don't know you. This is where you get to know him, at least one of the ways. As you take step after step, after step of obedience to Jesus, walking with him, you start to get to know his faithfulness, his, his graciousness, his generosity, his kindness, his sense of humour. You get to know him through obedience and he certainly knows you through it. And, and therein lies the, the mystery of the oil. What was the oil that the foolish virgins were running out of and ran out of? The oil is the Holy Spirit that produces the necessary obedience through a faith, a living and active faith in Jesus Christ. 
And when you start to open the door to obedience to Jesus, there may well be a peace and healing and freedom waiting for you. There may be peace, healing and freedom waiting for you as you open the door. In fact, it might be right now at the door, standing on its tippy toes, ready for you, ready to overtake you. You need only open the door. And in relation to peace, I didn't originally plan to say this, but when I was younger, um, I spent some time in a church plant in London. I was in my early 20s. And I spent a few days there and it was amazing. We were on the streets of London and we were uh, 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 preaching the gospel and we were praying for the sick. And we saw some dramatic healings. And I remember in uh, some of the downtime, one of the leaders came up to me and I just asked me how I was finding, finding things. And I said to him, yeah, this has been an amazing week. I've seen some things I never imagined that I would see. I said, but sometimes, sometimes I think I want the peaceful life. He asked, what do you mean? I said, sometimes I think, well, I, st I still come to church, still be a Christian, but to be on the front line like this, to be preaching the gospel, to be laying my hands, seeing people see healed. I still come to church, but sometimes I think I'd want, I want the more peaceful life. He looked at me and he said, Toby, do you want to know what the peaceful life is? He said, the peaceful life is to hear the word of God and obey it. He was right. And that's what it means to watch therefore. That's how Jesus ends the parable. He says, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. He's referencing his second coming, but it equally applies really to our deaths. We, we don't know when we're going to die. So what does it mean to watch therefore? It means really, well, what it says in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, similar to what that leader told me that day. It says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's, that's how you watch, remain watchful. That's how you remain vigilant. And if you do so in faith, you won't be caught off guard like the foolish virgins were. The foolish virgins cried out, cried out saying, Lord, Lord. But the door of heaven was shut on them. Similarly to Jesus cried out on behalf of the wise, Lord, Lord, or specifically, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the door to heaven was shut on Jesus so that we, through faith in him, could have the door of heaven opened wide open for us. The foolish virgins asked the wise virgins to share their oil, but they did not, but they could not. Jesus would be the, the virgin that shared his oil with us all through faith on the cross, sharing his life, sharing the power of the Holy Spirit. The foolish virgins were, were counseled to purchase some oil. They couldn't. Jesus was the one that purchased the oil on the cross for us. He purchased it at great cost to himself through his death, cost him his life. Meaning that Jesus, the wisdom of God, 
would become a fool on the cross for us so that we, the true fools, could through faith and the subsequent obedience be welcomed in as the wise. Why did Jesus do this? He did this because he loves you. He loves you so much. And he, he wants to forgive you right now. He wants to forgive you. So if you know that's you, if you know that you haven't perfectly obeyed Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And whether it's the first time you're praying this and the first time would be to become a Christian or whether it's the 10,000th time you've prayed this, to come back to Jesus in faith, pray this with me. Let's pray this together. Father God, I know that I haven't obeyed you perfectly. I know that I haven't faithfully obeyed the words of the Bible. And I'm sorry. I turn away from disobedience, Lord. I choose to accept Jesus into my life. I want him. I want him as my saviour and I want him as my Lord. I choose to follow him and obey him now. I ask for your help in this because I can't do it by myself. I need your help. Would you help me to follow him and create in me new desires, new desires to obey him? I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you've prayed that, well done. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship God together.